Good morning. Isn't that wonderful? Nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Gosh, thank you for the four of you who said amen. <laughs> Take two. Isn't it wonderful that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Amen? Wow. What a lively crowd we have this morning. Amen. Beautiful song. Wonderful song. Oh, God's love. Well, today we're going to talk about God's will versus our will. And uh, in the old words of Roland Hill, the preacher, we're going to use our sanctified imaginations and visit a relative of Harry this morning. How many remember Harry? Okay. For those of you who don't remember, didn't hear, Harry was an interesting fellow. His boat capsized. He was in the middle of the lake drowning, and they came out to rescue him and threw him an orange. Let me repeat that, orange life ring. And he rejected it because he didn't like the color orange. So we know that Harry's not real sharp. One of the prayer meetings, we talked about Larry, Harry's brother, and he wasn't any better for the ladies that weren't there. Somebody gave him a map to show him how to get to um, his cousin's house, Jerry, and uh, <laughs> he refused to pay attention to the map, and he had his own thoughts and figured he knew better than the map, and he ended up driving off where there used to be a bridge, and there no longer was, crashed and died, and joined his brother, Harry. So today we're going to talk about Jerry and his wife, Mary. Well, Mary came home from church one day, unusually joyful, and said she discovered that there are two doors that eventually we end up at in our life. And she says, oh, Jerry, one of those doors is just fantastic. You go through it. And whatever your best experiences in life, whatever you ever had that you thought was so phenomenal, trust me, it's nothing. It's a thousand times, thousand times, thousand times better. It's full of babbling brooks, better than you can even imagine. It's so peaceful. The weather's perfect. You don't hurt. You don't ache. You don't get sad. It's wonderful. And yet there was another door that if you went through that door... It was dark. And oh, by the way, if you go through the first door, you're there forever. And it's just wonderful. It's just marvelous. Then there's another door. If you go through that door, it's dark. And as soon as you go, you lose your way. And you fall. You get hurt. You're in constant agony and torture. So she said, honey, I want you to make sure you go through the first door. Well, Jerry thought about it for a while, and he said, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe that. I'm, I, I think I want to know if that's really true, what's in the second door. And she says, well, you don't want to do that. Well, that night, <clears throat> Jerry moved on, and you know what? He chose the second door. 
And he found out as soon as he went through it, it was the biggest mistake of his life. So Jerry was simply no better than his cousins, Larry and Harry. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that once again, we do have the privilege to open your word, to look at it, um, to ponder it, to see what you would have for us. And we just pray this morning that each and every one of us would be receptive to your teaching this morning, your word, and that we might discover how, how many wonderful things you have planned for our lives if we're just willing to let you have your way with our life. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the first book of Thessalonians, chapter 5 and verse 16. It will be extremely familiar to many of you. Um, years ago, as a young Christian, I discovered these verses and promptly titled them Spiritual Vitamins. Because for me, they're just a blessing every time I see them. And, uh, well, I almost titled the message today, Back to Basics, because pretty much that's what we're going to do. These are not hard to understand. These are, these are, pretty, these are pretty simple. But let's read this morning uh, in Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. Excuse me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. First, we're going to look at the first verse. We're going to look at rejoicing. And the first question we'll ask is, well, why should we rejoice? And in the old adage, God said it, I believe it, and that settled it. So he tells us that we should rejoice. God also says in 1 Samuel 2.21, because I rejoice in your salvation, God is pleased for each and every one that comes to him and accepts him as their Lord and Savior. He's rejoicing. So if God rejoices, there's a good chance we should also. Now, if we're not saved, if we haven't come to accept his free gift of eternal life, like Mary said in that first door, like into the first door, that's just so wonderful. That's the wonderful thing about heaven. It's just going to be wonderful. It's going to be far past our imaginations. We can think till the day we die, we will not come close, I'm sure, to what God has created for us to spend for a week. No, a year. No, a lifetime. No. Forever, forever and ever. But for the unsaved, it's really hard to um, rejoice when you look at it from God's perspective, when you're choosing not to take his blessing and his free gift in Second Thessalonians 1 9. And we're going to be moving kind of fast this morning. So please don't please don't jump from scripture to scripture, because even if you're one of the um, top guns, you may disturb those around you as you're flipping pages to, to stay up. So just uh, listen to each and every uh, verse of Scripture. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. 
they being those who don't accept Christ. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So it's a sobering thing to think about. But we're looking at, and there's a quote that pretty well sums it up. It goes like this. Life with Christ is an endless hope. Without him is a hopeless end. And we are also to rejoice in our salvation. And that shouldn't be very hard to do. We should be rejoicing. Psalm 35, 9 says, And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. I shall exult in his salvation, which he's given us. And lastly, it's a command. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say again, rejoice. Now, how should we rejoice? We should rejoice with gladness. Psalm 118, verse 24 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And it's always good in Scripture to pay attention when God repeats something twice. He's trying to get his point across. We should rejoice with a hopeful spirit. Uh, Romans 12.12 says rejoicing in hope because that's what we have once we become Christians. It's It's so awesome we have hope. We never used to have hope. We would hope in individual things sometimes. We may hope in a promotion. We may hope we get that home we want. We may hope that we can buy that car. We hope that maybe we can find the right mate. But they're temporal in comparison. But when we're saved, we have a hope. That is just awesome. That sometimes when times are tough, when we think about it, it does what? It uplifts us when we remember that hope. In the scriptures, it says creation actually rejoices. That which God has created rejoices. So if if creation can rejoice, we should be able to rejoice. What do we have to rejoice about? Well, the obvious is that we are saved. We've been set free, haven't we? We are no longer chained by our sins. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 is very marvelous in this respect. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is just simply awesome. And Psalm 40, verses 2, 3, and 8 says, He took us out of the miry clay. Before we're saved, we're stuck in a mire. We don't have what we have after we come to know Him. And so many times we don't even know we don't have it till after we come to know Him. We don't even realize the depth of the agony we have in our life, the struggles we have in our life when we're going through them without Him. But once we have them, he pulls us out of that. He places, on a, places us on a rock. He makes our footsteps firm, it says. And he puts a new song in our mouth. A song of praise and worship to him. And in verse 8, it says that the, the obvious response, the normal response, is that we delight to do his will. Oof, look at that. Remember, this is all about 
our will this morning versus his will. And trust me, his will is far better. We can rejoice because the Holy Spirit, once we accept Christ, that third person in the Trinity, comes and indwells us. And that's just a simply awesome thing. Because the fruits of the Spirit take their residence in us. And we're not talking about our character. Character comes along as Jesus transforms us, as we're allowing him to do so. But the moment we're saved, we have the fruits of the Spirit, which are God. They're God's. They're not ours. We did not have them. And so any duplication of them isn't even the same. Because there's love in the world, but it's nothing like God's love. And so the minute we get saved, we have love, we have joy, we have peace, we have patience, we have kindness, we have goodness, we have faithfulness, we have gentleness, we have self-control. Now, all people, to one degree or another, seem to have some sense of one or more of those fruits, but it's not the same. These are just marvelous These are what propel a Christian in his or her walk. This is what we say when we're walking with him and we're walking in obedience with him gives that spring to our step. That gives us a positive outlook on the life around us, no matter what our circumstances are about, no matter what our situations are, no matter what our difficulties are. We, in the midst of those, have this that is so marvelous, the spirit of God in us. And lastly, why should we rejoice? Because the scripture says it that we read this morning. It says rejoice always. The second point we want to look at this morning, besides rejoice, is it says pray without ceasing. Why should we pray? Well, God says we should. It's God's will. But let's look beyond that. What is prayer? And we've discussed that many times. Prayer is simply having conversation with the Almighty. We should have it with reverence, yes. With respect, yes. Humbly, yes. But we are conversing with our God. And that is simply awesome. Who can pray to God? Who can pray to God on a regular basis? Those who have been redeemed. Those who have been set free, those who are walking with God, are those who can pray daily to God. Another quote is, in order to be heaven bound, we must be heaven born. So if we've gone through the motions and we've prayed the prayer but there is no reality to our life and the spirit of God isn't in us. We are just going through the motions. Nothing else is happening. A good question to ask, does God ever hear the prayers of the unsaved? Yes, he does. He did for each one of us that are saved, didn't he? When we were unsaved and we turned to Christ and asked him to come into our lives. He heard those prayers, every single one of them. And here's a lovely example of what takes place. To me, it's one of the most marvelous scriptures in the word of God to explain what needs to be said to be saved. 
Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. It's not a difficult thing. Man over the history has tried to make it more difficult. God gave us a very simple format. And really, there is nothing more marvelous than being saved. It's just a wonderful life. It's a great life. When praying, how familiar are we with God in our prayers? Do we have a consistent time when we pray? Or is it just here, there, and everywhere? When was the last time that you prayed? And what did you pray for? Do we ever labor in prayer? Do we have a normal daily routine in prayer? We are to have that, but our prayers are never to become routine. You understand the difference? We are to be familiar with our God. And that's why it says pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? That means, yes, we have our times of prayer. But also during our day, there are times when we just converse with him, don't we? He wants to be involved in all aspects of our life every day. Because he's the wonderful savior. He's the one who paid the price. He's the one who went to Calvary for us. And that's simply awesome. He loves us with such an everlasting love. Are there times when we find it hard to pray? Well, this quote says, pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. Persevere and overcome those feelings or those circumstances that are telling you not to pray. If we pray on a regular basis, we will become wonderfully familiar with our God, won't we? And it's just a marvelous thing. And we will experience warfare when we pray, as we go along in this Christian life. Because besides the loving God that's out there, that desires all men to come to him and all women and receive eternal life, there is that fallen angel that is wreaking havoc in this world today, every day, every hour, minute by minute. He is out to draw all men and women to hell. And that's the devil. He's out there. We need to be aware of him. And he does not like Christians. So that we, it's important that we are walking with God daily. And God will take care of us when the devil comes by and tries to bother us. Now, does God see our prayers as blessed or hypocritical? If you really want to know what God thinks about hypocrites, read Matthew chapter 23, verses 14 through 36, simply to say this morning that he hates hypocrites. He hates those 
that lead a double life? How often and where should we pray? At the very least, daily. Job 1.5 says, Rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings, thus Job did continually. Another quote. If you can beat the devil in the matter of regular daily prayer, you can beat him anywhere. If he can beat you there in the matter of regular daily prayer, he can possibly beat you anywhere. That is our strength as we communicate with God. But we do need times of praying alone with no one around. Matthew 14.23 says, He, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. So if Jesus, who was God, thought it important enough to have times to pray quietly and alone, shouldn't we have the same? Another quote, the equipment for the inner life of prayer is simple. It consists of a quiet place, a quiet hour, and a quiet heart. This is why we need times where there aren't any distractions. Otherwise, we can pray anytime, anywhere. We can pray in our activities at work, school, Um, At home, no matter where and where we are and what we're doing, we can have times of conversation with God. Christians should also gather together in prayer. Acts 2.42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The subject of a church meeting to do with prayer, we find in Acts 1.14, These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. So, there is a reason to have a prayer meeting in the church. And unless we're ill, because sometimes we are, unless we have an emergency, or unless our regular job that we have doesn't allow us to attend, we should be there. If we have a job and overtime is offered, if we really want God to bless us, pull for, offering, pull for overtime other than times when God's people are meeting. They don't meet that often. There are many days during the week where you can pull for overtime. But otherwise, we should be there. And if we're not, we should figure out why we're not attending such an important uh, meeting with the Christians. Do we pray enough? There's a gentleman, E.M. Bounds, that was an author, teacher, and preacher about prayer. He wrote one of the most marvelous books on prayer, and, and, and it talked about his life in prayer, which was absolutely incredible. The closest thing, and it's pretty close, that I've ever seen is Sylvia and how much of the day she prays. I mean, really prays separately, quietly. But on his deathbed, he was asked, do you have any regrets in your life? 
Remember who this man is. He was Mr. Prayer. He said, I only have one regret. That I didn't pray more. Oh, where do we stand in comparison? Who and what do we pray for? First and foremost, we should have times of prayer of worship where we're just worshiping God in prayer. Why? Because he's so worthy. There are times when we, yes, should be praying for ourselves and asking God to help us, whatever that might be. But we should also be praying for others. And it's not a good thing when we're praying 90, us, 10, them. That is a completely out-of-balanced prayer life. Now, that may be because there's two minutes of prayer a week, and that's wrong. But if we have a consistent, regular time of praying, the vast majority of that time should be for the Lord and for others. A quote, talking to men for God is a great thing. But talking to God for men is the first thing. We should be praying for those that don't know him. We should also be praying for our fellow Christians. Colossians 4.3, praying at the same time for us as well. We should have a prayer list, which we do, thank God. It's so important that we understand the specifics we should be praying for each other. We shouldn't be just praying, God, help the world, bless the world, encourage the world. God's not impressed with such prayers. We should know the things that we should be praying for. Another quote. Many prayers go to the dead letter office of heaven for want of sufficient direction. God wants us to specifically pray for those needs of those that we know and love. But mostly, we should never forget to pray for our loved ones, our relatives, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, our teachers, that they might discover how much God loves them. Because we are leading an awesome life, aren't we? We are leading a blessed life. We have such incredible hope. And that should burden us to pray. Another quote. He who is on the road to heaven will not be content to go there alone. I think one of the most wonderful things that's going to happen when we get to heaven And probably one of the most surprising is to find out how many people and who they were that were praying for us to get saved. I was not a nice person before I was saved. I picked on Christians. I was rude to Christians. I mocked Christians. I did everything possible you could. I classified myself a full-fledged hater of God. Was I a fool? Oh, of course Was I deceived? Absolutely. But there was this Christian on board the ship I was on. And he was a married man from Minnesota. And every chance he had, he'd be up in the chart room 
which is someplace nobody would go. Most couldn't wait to get off the boat to go sin. But he would go up there and he'd have times of prayer and read his word. Nicest guy. I'm telling you, I know he had to pray for me, for me. Because I know he was a genuine Christian and no one abused him more than me verbally and mocked him more than me. And I may have to pick him up the, off the ground in heaven when he sees me. Okay? But he persevered. He loved me in spite of my wickedness. We need to be burdened for the unsaved. Is God listening to our prayers? Does he hear our prayers as Christians? Well, listen to what Psalm 66 verse 18 says. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If we have sin in our life, if we are in rebellion, if we are not honoring God in every aspect of our life, because our God isn't a I settle for 99% obedience. No. He's not this kind of God. This verse says, He does not hear. Sin halts our fellowship with God. Have you ever noticed when you sin and you've been walking with God, all of a sudden, you aren't you lonely? Aren't you miserable? Because we've grieved or we've quenched the Spirit of God. Versus something we've said or an action we've had. And until we get right with God and in some cases go back to the person and ask their forgiveness for our actions. But the moment we do, the moment we say, God, forgive me. Oh, it's awesome. Back comes peace. Back comes joy. Back comes vitality. But if we persist in our sin, our prayers are dead. They're empty. And they're of no value because they're not going anywhere. Another quote. Sheep get lost not because of the thicket, but because they wander away too far from the shepherd. Too often Christians blame circumstances or situations or another person for their sinful behavior. Did they participate? You bet. God's will versus our will. Remember that. It was our choice. What are some of the sins that we won't give up, that we struggle with, either before we come to know him or as Christians we fall into, we fall back into? Pride and arrogance, ungrateful, rebellious, disobedient, just a spirit of rebellion will cut our fellowship with God. Here's a big one today. Lovers of self, which include unloving, selfishness, and jealousy. Horrid, horrid things. And this world at every encounter, at every turn, encourages you to embrace yourself, to love yourself, to worship yourself at the expense of all else. Be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself, which is such a stark contrast to God. He says, realize who is hindering you from coming to me and giving you a blessed life. 
our flesh, our self. Another one that is just epidemic in the church today, lying, deceitful, gossip and slander. It's just amazing how easily people can lie. To the point where Christians sometimes think they're clever and they omit the truth, thinking this really isn't a lie. They'll just admit it in their conversation. It's a lie. If you are deceiving, because that's deceiving, someone by not telling them the whole truth, that's a lie. Wrath, malice, abusive speech, and outbursts of, of, of anger. Flashpoint, hot-tempered, um, unacceptable to God. Stop us from coming to him. Once we know him, stop our fellowship with him. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, evil desires, unholiness of any kind, shape, whether it be mental, emotional, physical, wrong. God doesn't tolerate it. Yes, but I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Wrong. God doesn't tolerate it. Another huge one in today's world. Greed, envy, idolatry, lovers of money. We don't honor God with our money once we're Christians. Before him, we strive in a crazy manner to accumulate it. And some of the most wicked things that go on in the world today. And if you mess with them to God, chances are you won't stay here for long. Wickedness, witchcraft, and sorcery. God does not tolerate. They are the center, next to pride and arrogance, they are the center of the devil's work in this world. Remember, it is total obedience. It's 100%. Now, there are times when we come to know him where God reveals things to us over a period of time. But once revealed, we should confess, forsake, and move on. Move on. But here's the marvelous thing again about God. So simple, so easy. He makes life so easy for us. We make life so difficult for him. He simply says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive us. And just and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing easier in the world. There's nothing like being restored to God. Psalm 66, verses 19 and 20. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. God loves everyone in the world. 
Everyone in the world has the opportunity to accept him and be saved. For those who choose not to, they will hear these sobering words one day. And when they hear these words, it will be too late. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I, that is Jesus, will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you. We should never want to wait to hear those words. Another quote. The false professor is trusting in what he or she has done for evidence that they are a Christian. Whereas the true born-again Christian is trusting in what God has done and continues to do in their lives and is evident also to those around them. Third point, and it's so simple. And it's just so simple. We should give thanks. It is God's will for Christians to give thanks. Again, because he says it in the, in the scriptures we read this morning. We of all people should be thankful. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient to the heart, to that from the teaching to which you were committed and have been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's our result. We should be thankful for what we have. And it is good to give thanks. Psalm 92.1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Does God care that we give thanks? Yes. Ephesians 1.16 is he worthy for us to give thanks? Absolutely. First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 through 12. Should we give thanks? Yes. How should we give thanks? In our prayers and praises. Let us come, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with praises. And that's Psalm 92.5. It should be in the songs we sing. One of my favorite. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. That should be on our tongues daily. There, we should be a testimony to others. Others should be seeing our life as thankful. Another quote. I would rather see a sermon any day than hear one. And until they see it, they really don't want to hear one. But if they see it in our lives, when things go bad in theirs, they'll, they'll search us out. They always will. And a thankful spirit is infectious, isn't it? It really is. And it's encouraging as God designed it. And when should we give thanks? We should give thanks always.
where? Everywhere. And fourth, in, in conclusion, excuse me. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Remember, God's will versus our will. Rejoice. Prayer. Thankful. A quote. A knowledge of the will of God is relative to one's desire to do the will of God. God does not reveal his will to those who are not gladly committed to it. A commission from God is relative to our commitment to God. Commitment to God is prerequisite to commission. There is no substitute for the bent knee, the surrendered heart, the open Bible, and the listening ear, and the voice of the Spirit in discovering what the will of God is for our lives. The unsaved can know God's will. And if you're here this morning and you haven't discovered how much God loves you, how much he wants to give you, how blessed he wants to make your life, just know this. It's God's will for you to discover that. It's really his will for you to discover that. And here's his comforting words to those who have not come to know him yet. They're marvelous. They're some of the best in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Knowing what God's will is for our lives and obeying it to completion is really the only conclusion that we need to come to this morning. And why is it so important? Again, why is it so important to know God's will for our lives? Because Our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ want us to trust them and they want to give us the good life. Not just when we get to heaven, but here. Jesus said, I came that they might have life. Now, he could have stopped there and that would have been good enough. Life, eternal life. But he said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And if you're here this morning and you're not having the abundant life, it may be because you don't know him or it may be because you slip back into a sin and your fellowship with him is broken. God wants each and every one of us to be heavenly bound. Another quote. The loss of wealth is much. The loss of health is more. But the loss of Christ is such a loss that no man can restore. Christians, and as Christians, we should always be joyful. We should always be thankful. 
we should always be prayerful. And in conclusion, and if everyone would just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, think about this just for a moment. What could be more wonderful than being joyful, prayerful, and thankful? What could be more? What could be more than that? Absolutely nothing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. And we just pray now, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that is not born again, that they might reach out and take your hand and acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior of their life. That they would just confess their sins to you and accept your free gift of eternal life so that they might embrace your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, hope, eternal, and a wonderful life, and a marvelous life to come. And for those of your children this morning that have slidden back into sin, that have found themselves wanting this morning, we just pray that they would confess their sins to you and let you take back the reins of their life. Take back over and steer the ship of your life into smooth waters and clear waters. And for those that are just here this morning that love you and are walking with you, that they might be blessed and encouraged all the more and that all would be today desiring your will, not their will. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.